the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome to the show. This is the Boys of Tech episode 315 for the week commencing Monday the 2nd of February 2015. My name is Edwin Herman here in the studio and joining me over a Skype connection is my co-host Brett King. Hello, hello. Hey, how are you doing this morning? Warm. Warm? Yes. It has it's very been warm. It's been very I mean we've had some rain uh, late yesterday uh but you're right it's been so warm and so dry. <laughs> Do you know I, I should also mention that our offices have hit 32 degrees. There is no yeah. aircon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of our offices have got fans in them now. Yeah. Push the air it's, around. Yeah, the uh the hills and and whatnot are looking very brown. Mm. Which is kind of, you know, let's be honest, it's not that common for Wellington. We, you know, mm. we, we get some nice weather, but it's usually broken up by, you know, some of the wet stuff. Yeah. Mm. All right, anyway, so let's look at what we're going to be talking about this week. Uh, one of the things I will be covering is, I think I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago uh, with a business partner. I've been working on a cloud-based product, uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But first up, I wanted to talk about Bill Gates' concern about the future of artificial intelligence. He's a little bit worried that robots are going to take over the world. Well, I'm paraphrasing, but... (laughs) Massively paraphrasing. Stephen Hawking, I think, made a a sort of a similar comment uh, late last year. Same with Elon Musk also. So do you share, I mean, what's your position on this, Brett? What do you think? Do you really think that robot overlords are going to take over the world and we're going to be uh, slaves to them? I haven't read all of the Ask Bill Gates Reddit thread for his full answers, but from the the snippets I've seen, it's less about evil robot overlords and more about machines and everything doing everything for people and then a generation later nobody knowing how to do anything to these machines and also perhaps putting our trust into Indeed. machines where Becoming and, and things can go wrong on, yeah, on these okay. machines okay that with a failure with a failure in the intelligence with finger quotes evil robot overlord but yeah, more just with a reliance on technology and no knowledge of how to do these things without it or how to do things without them is concerning. You know, I sometimes wonder whether this is just the normal part of developing new technologies and new machinery, the industrialization, for example, that we, we went through 100, 200 years ago. Like, it would, mm. wouldn't, would they have been saying the same things? Like, oh, you know, cars, we'll, we'll forget well, how to walk. Sorry? <laughs> They have said the same things with any generation with these new introductions of technology. Uh, when cars first came came along, there were a lot of people who were going, "Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be the end." Uh, there was the the whole, uh, "We can't go faster than this because you'll you know you won't be able to breathe." 
et cetera, et cetera. And all these things from people not knowing the science behind it and not knowing how they will interact. And a lot of stuff was also, it is that, that ignorance of how this thing is going to interact. Because if we take that example of back in the, you know, the twenties and thirties, all of this stuff was coming out about nuclear power and, and atomic energy and all of this radiation was, was good for you. And so radiation was everything. You had radium toothpaste because it was a cure-all. It was this amazing new energy. Nobody knew the full ramifications of it, but it was everywhere and people just went overboard with the use of these things without knowing how they actually interacted. And then lots of people got very sick and lots of people died and we realised that, oh, wait, that's actually really bad for you. You shouldn't have done that. So it's kind of that sort of thing is what I'm seeing from these concerns that these quite eminent people have raised is that we're running forward with these brand new ideas. We have no idea how they will actually work, how they will actually interact. What is going to be the negative of having your entire house globally connected and it monitoring your health and assigning you your medications and then somebody taking control of it or something going glitchy in a, in a, in a um, artificially intelligent system in it. And it decides that, you know what, you need a double dose of that today. Mm. I mean, that is kind of a scary thought. Indeed, and it's with these things becoming so out there and so ubiquitous without people considering all of the the ramifications of it or how they will actually interact or how they will actually work. And it is that runaway technology. And that's, you know, I think my example of the runaway atomic (laughs) age Mm. of the the 20s and 30s with radiation is great for you. Um, (laughs) How we uh, saw that that is in fact not the case. Actually, that little comment you made there just reminded me of something I saw in a book from the, it may have been 30s or 40s maybe, that flies keep the air wholesome with their zigzag motion. You know, it's like, no, they actually carry a lot of, harbour a lot of germs and stuff. You don't really don't want flies. But, you know, you know things like that kind of outdated, you know, um, Indeed, understanding it's, it's, of things. It's people with no understanding of things. Mm. And unfortunately, with a lot of new developments, the people developing the things don't really understand what they're doing either. Mm. And we've had some amazing developments from doing these random sorts of things. But we've also had a lot of incredibly bad things happen from the same sort of situations. But it is about controlling the runaway aspect of these yeah, okay. things. Mm. That's kind of what I what I've what I've gotten from there. Right, and and you know we we, we all know that you know things do go wrong. I mean you know things will go wrong. Indeed. You've got to remember that these these artificially in, artificial intelligence are being built by people and we are fallible. Yep, totally. So Some more the than fact others. that we have created an artificial intelligence does not mean that it's going to be perfect because we created it. Mm. There's going to be a bug in there. As everybody knows, there is no such thing as budget-free software these days. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think also the other thing to keep in mind is that the higher our dependence on technology – the higher the impact when things go wrong. Exactly. And it doesn't need to be a super intelligent machine that is, you know, in itself inherently evil and wanting to destroy humanity. It could be a a very intelligent um, machine that is running on flawed logic that was created by a bug in whatever was programmed into its fundamental aspects. Mm. So it is it is calculating things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, let's uh, let's see where things take us, and let's keep this in mind when we adopt new technologies. 
Indeed. It is about not just running away with things, not thinking, not, not thinking about all of the impacts of these things first. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. See, I will be, I will be, my, well, my concern level will raise the instant we have internet connected home medicine and medical machinery. <laughs> mm. When you yeah. have to worry about something that is internet connected pumping drugs into you, uh, yeah, that's, that's when you get concerned. That's when I get concerned as well. Because yeah, a glitch sure. in that or a malicious <laughs> hacker or anything like a runaway Trojan, like that one that was developed for what? A- attacking um, nuclear uh, power places in Iran or whatever. I cannot remember the name of it. But it was a big thing. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Know. Yep, yep. We yeah. covered it on this podcast. Yeah. Indeed, yep. indeed. Yep. Something like that um, being taken for nefarious purposes mm. and, and ruining your home medication machine, which suddenly gives you three times the dose of insulin that you were supposed to get. Mm, scary. Okay, Start let's... thinking it, about it, these it, things before we let them run away and do this sort of stuff. Totally. Look, let's talk about Twitter. It seems like Twitter has a limit on the number of uh, logins, I think, a number of accounts that can be used through any one client. And TweetBot mm-hmm. has recently reached that uh, in the week just been. It was taken off. This is for, for uh, Mac, by the way. I think it's the most popular or second most popular uh, Mac client for Twitter, I think. Uh, it was taken off the App Store because no point selling a product that you can't use. Mm-hmm. But I, what I don't understand is why, well, I mean, I guess there's, there's uh, lots of theories, but, you know, why is there this limit per client that Twitter has? Well, I, mean, I it's, think it's entirely obvious, isn't it? You What, so they can promote their own one? It is so that they can force people into using their own client because their own client displays the timeline how Twitter wants you to see it. It inserts ads and forces you to look at them. And using a third-party product, Twitter can't make you look at the ads, can't control the way that your timeline is displayed. They have no control. They have no way of making money from third-party apps displaying your Twitter feeds. Yeah, I guess, you, I guess you know, the, the flip side is that, you know, they're not charging for the access to the API. Therefore, if you like, the, you could say the price they pay as a, as a developer is... The limit on, on, is, on the number of users. That's pretty much it. What yeah. Twitter has done yeah. is yeah. they are going, well, we're limiting the number of people who can who can access the, you know, access Twitter via your app, via this um, token limit. And once you hit that, you're, nobody else is going to be able to use your app. So that people have to, <laughs> to try and force people into using Twitter's app where Twitter can monetize it. Yeah, it just seems like an extraordinary level of control. You know, you can effectively render a, a third-party app useless yep. simply and by the fact that they've got Twitter too many... That's that's mm. Twitter's that's mm. Twitter's decision. That's what they're doing. I was really surprised. I had, you know, I was perhaps a little bit oblivious to all of this, but I had absolutely no idea there were such limits. And the rage that have come out of it. Yeah. But the, yeah. Well, that is to be expected. Oh, yeah. yeah. And people rage all the time. I, I think... But the, the, the rage against this of people going, well, if, if, if I cannot use my favorite <laughs> Twitter client, I am not going to use Twitter because I do not like the Twitter Twitter client. <laughs> See, I use the Twitter Twitter, the one from Twitter. I, I use that. But 
I, I don't know. I I didn't compare Maybe it against anyone. I just one of these other I, no, clients, well, you might decide that it is significantly better than the Twitter client and not m- want to use the Twitter maybe, client ever the, again. The thing is, I I'm not disappointed with it, so I went with it. You know, it was one of those situations rather than which is yeah. the best for me. It was more like, well. Am I happy with it? Yes. Therefore, I'll continue using it. But maybe you're only happy with it because that's all you've ever known. Just like you might be happy with boiled potatoes, but maybe that's all you've ever known. You've never had mashed potatoes with some butter and some garlic and a little bit of chive. You might discover that actually mashed potatoes with butter, garlic and chives way better than just boiled potatoes. Do you know what I'm going to cook for dinner tomorrow night? Mashed potatoes? With... <laughs> some butter, a little garlic, and some chives. Exactly. I'm going to try that. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's move on and talk about uh, YouTube. Just a qu- with just a quick mention that they have announced they are dropping the Flash player in favor of HTML5. Woo-hoo! Well, they're not dropping it entirely. It is well, just no, it's no not the default. default. It's not the default. Yeah, exactly. They are switching the default to HTML5. Flash will still be part of the. The API. So if you're using YouTube's, you know, auto switching API, then it, it should know to switch to Flash if you're using something that isn't HTML5 compatible. Though, why you would be using something that isn't HTML5 compatible anymore? No, but as we know, people it's do. Very old that in, <laughs> Internet Explorer six is still, you know, that is reasonably. True. But I think the main reason there. that Internet Explorer six is around is. People with either really old computers who don't know any better, but probably the main reason IE6 is still around is a lot of business business web applications won't run on anything newer. Yeah, it's funny that, but yeah, you're right. That often holds organizations back in terms of the desktop. Yeah, yeah. It is they are reliant on a business application that is web-based that won't work on anything newer. <laughs> yeah, but you know, to be quite honest, I don't know why YouTube, why Google didn't do this from day one. Because we're only talking, as you said, Brett, as you corrected me, in fact, that we're only talking about the default. What's the default? We're not saying they're getting rid of one. So I don't know why they didn't do this, make this move. Well, maybe they've years now, ago. maybe they've reached the flashpoint, if you excuse the pun, where <laughs> devices that support HTML5 are so ubiquitous that they can now feel happy switching it to the default. Mm, I guess so. Yeah, I was just a little surprised. But hey, they've done it now. The default is HTML5 if you're using something that, for, as you said, goodness knows why, but there could be some reasons why you're using a browser that doesn't understand HTML5. Mm-hmm. HTML5. Possibly you are to, working at a company that has limited your browsers to a specific version of IE because of a business app yep, and that is utilized. And in those cases, it will yeah. revert back to the Flash player. Isn't that one of the reasons why Microsoft is has kind of now got the development of two different browsers going on? They've still got well, IE being developed and supported because of its compatibility with um, mm. business apps, and they've got the new Spartan browser development. Yeah, I don't know. Is it? Have they? I, I don't know. I, I'm to be honest, again, a little confused as to why they're doing that. I I haven't. No, I, mean, I, I, I believe I read it somewhere that um, I'm quickly googling. Uh. <laughs> well, while you're googling, let me make this comment that I think I, you know, IE 10 and 11 are very close to compliant. They're the more most compliant IE's ever been, and they're pretty good. So why the need for another one? But that I mean, I guess maybe that's yet to be revealed by Microsoft. Yeah, I 
believe I've just found it that Jason Weber, the group program manager for Internet Explorer, explained that um, Spartan is not replacing Internet Explorer, but is going to be a second browser, and that his team is focused on making Spartan work with you know the, the rest of the web, all of the new things. But i11 will be kept for compatibility with legacy and enterprise websites and web apps. So it is that oh, okay that, right. that split. They're keeping the one which keeps all of its backwards compatibility. And the other one, which is focused on working with the web as it is now and forward. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes mm. sense. Mm. I like it. All right, Brett, look, that uh, concludes the international stories. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we've got a New Zealand story for you. Don't go away. Welcome back. Now, I mentioned earlier that I'd been working on a new venture. It's a cloud-based service. And to talk about it, my business partner, Marcus Sullivan, joins me in the studio. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Thanks for having me here, Ed. It's good to be here. Oh, look, it's our pleasure to have you on the show. So it was, what, I think less than a year ago that uh, you and I started working on a new cloud-based application. And after many months of hard work, blood, sweat, and all those sorts of things, we finally launched it just a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, we did. Um, I require it as the name of our tool. Yeah, I came to talk to you about this idea, yeah, March, I think, last year. Basically, I've been a business analyst for the last 10 years and worked with many products out there, requirements management tools. Um, different organizations I've been in have used different things. Some have gone the Word, Excel route. Others have had designated tools. What I've seen through those experiences is a lot of the BA-specific tools are very heavy-duty, quite complicated. There's uh, often a steep learning curve. And these are tools that are often used initially and then forgotten about because they're too complicated. The business customer doesn't really get a chance to use them. If they do use them, it's just too complicated. Again, it's just, it's one of those things that's hard. The word Excel option is always there. You know, some people like uh, printing out a document for their business requirements. So that's an option to use. But again, it's not really a central repository of requirements. Um, quite hard to manage. Uh, versioning is difficult. And again, it can be complicated. People are just more concerned with formatting quite often. So I saw a gap in the market. I saw something that business users and IT professionals could use a tool that bridged the uh, current status quo out there, really. So either a complicated requirements management tools or Microsoft products, Word, Excel, spreadsheets, anything like that. There was a bit of space that was lacking, really. So... Yeah, I require it. Was came from that really, and I think that's kind of where we've aimed it, right? We've kind of gone. I mean, that's what kind of makes it different. As you were saying, you it doesn't have all these useless bells and whistles that complicate the interface, but at the same time, you get the benefits that you get of a central repository, which you don't get, as you said, with the example of using, say, Word or Excel. Yeah, we try to uh, make it a consistent user interface, user experience. We've gone with similar kind of like agile user story format so you get an idea of the requirement 
the essence of the requirement, who is the main person with the requirement and the context, so a reason why you have that requirement in the first place. So we kind of keep it consistent. We've got a consistent prioritization scheme, a very simple user interface that anybody can use, whether IT professional business, regular business user really. The learning curve is minimal. You just come in and play. It's very intuitive. It's not like you have to go on training courses or anything. You can just pick it up and go, really. And that was the kind of what I really wanted to aim for with this, something that anybody could pick up, say, right, I've got requirements for a system. Just enter it there. Just get started. It's a central repository, as you said. And that's, that's really good then for the future, for versioning. Everyone knows where their requirements are. So these users in the uh, in the business, for example, they they're not necessarily IT savvy. So you wouldn't put these complex tools and you know in, in front of them, would you? None of them really are suitable. I think that's kind of what we found when we looked at when we sort of scanned the market, didn't we? Yeah, there are a lot out there actually. There are a lot of requirements management tools, and like I was saying earlier, and like you said then, a lot of them are very heavy duty. It's um, they are complicated to use. They might do a very good job. But I always thought that they're probably not doing a great job if the users can't use them to their full potential, um, if you need training courses to use these things. And people get turned off very, very, very quickly, and then they'll go back to their default options, such as uh, spreadsheet or Word. Mm-hmm. With I require it, though, we're looking to get something that a business user can use consistently over and over again, no training required, and it's something that we're hoping that they'll come back to. And so these people in the business could be business owners, they could be perhaps executives, and they tend to use mobile devices a lot, right? They do. And one one of the kind of key drivers for me on this tour, I had a bit of a vision really of um, someone going into the business or the business themselves with their tablet or phone, being in a meeting and gathering requirements, business requirements there and then. So whether it's the business analyst coming into the business with a tablet or a phone or the business themselves, like you say, these tools are very prevalent now. This is optimized for using on a mobile device, um, tablet, etc. Very easy to use on that format and very quick to get up and running and kind of had a vision, especially as a BA going in oh, with my tablet, whatever it is, listening to the users, gathering the requirements there and then and having a business requirements document, a project done. One of the things we should mention as well is that once you've got a number of projects in there, you might be wondering, well, how do I get my stuff out of there? Are we locked into this I require it system? No, no. At any stage, actually, um, there's, a, there's a function in the tools menu where you can export any project and the associated requirements into a CSV file. So if somebody likes a signed form or a document, you can easily do that. So that's fine. As far as your multiple projects, we can easily extract all that data. There's no issues with that at all. So you know you're not locked into that. It just depends on how somebody wants to use it. You know, some people will be fine just keeping everything online. Um, some people might want to get something on paper. If they do, then we, we can uh, deal with that. And I guess the other reason for exporting too might be that some organisations may choose to use this tool only for that sort of initial engagement and that they may even have a full-blown requirements management tool, which you really wouldn't want to put in front of your customers, trust me. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, they may want to, after that sort of initial phase, get the stuff out of iRequired and into this into their sort of uh, a larger requirements tool. Absolutely. Um, like you say, this I require it might not be the end of the um, the process. Uh, like I said, a requirements bridge as the way I saw this this tool going. So it could 
end up being, yes, this is the end result as far as my requirements, or it could be part of that whole process. So yes, um, this is my starting place. If I want to do more requirements, engineering, and do more work around the requirements, then I might want to use my existing tool that the organization's purchased. Then ease, I can easily get that information from my requirer into that tool. We're not into the, in the business of locking people in, are we? <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. We'll leave that up to other organizations. Absolutely. There's plenty of those. <laughs> exactly. Now, Brett, you've had a little play around with a tool as well. I have indeed. I created a massively extensive project. <laughs> you, you're dying to tell us what it was, right? Go on, tell, 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 us, tell us what your project no, was. No, no, we'll get done for ripping off Austin Powers. No. <laughs> 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 but yes, yeah, so I mean, uh, how did you find the how did you find the the tool? That's a piece of cake. <laughs> it really is a piece of cake, and I can see how easy it would be if you were using it on a mobile device, uh, dragging and dropping everything, touch controls. It's clean. It's clear. Everything's nice and big. I did have a couple of questions about it, though. Like one of the core things that you've got that you present on your first page is like you don't need to worry about usernames and passwords and logging in and all this sorts of stuff. How do you keep everything secure and secret and private for the organizations that use it? Sure. Yeah, one of the key drivers for us really was um, we've seen other sites and other um applications out there that you start getting information from a user straight away that's often uh, puts puts people off you know you've got to sign up for an account you have to remember countless login names and passwords so um i have to say edwin came up with a great idea of instead of doing that this tool is driven through email so my license for this tool is driven by my domain email account so any projects requirement and association requirements I create are linked to that email address which is linked back to my domain account anything any correspondence between these email accounts any requirements that I've created a new version has created is sent to myself and any designated recipients who I choose anybody then who gets this email and the associated link within that email can access the project and the, and the requirements themselves. So nobody is actually logging into anything at all. They are clicking on a link that they are sent in an email. They are part of a project. They are associated with that project. So nobody else is going to get that email. Um, if there's anything you'd like to add on that front, Ed, please chip in. Yeah, so on the technical side also, we've got, uh, you may have noticed this, Brett, as well, that the, the unique URL you get for any one project or any version of set of requirements for that matter is a UUID. So it's as secure as guessing a UUID, which is effectively zero in, in the lifetime of this universe. <laughs> uh, you know, and also uh, when you're a subscriber, the app runs over HTTPS. So there's no way that the URL can be attained in that way. The only, I guess, weak link we, we could say there is, is is the fact that the the uh, the link is sent over email, and email, as you know, is not secure. Having said that, that's no different to other such services where, we, for example, you sign up and you sent a verification link. I mean, they go over email as well. But um, when you know, once you're actually you know using it, the individual URL you would never see because that's over HTTPS. So the you know you can't sort of do the man in the middle if you like on that. So that's kind of the approach we've taken. Um, Interesting. And, 
Yeah, so I guess, I mean, you know, uh, it's possible someone in the office could be, I guess, looking over your shoulder and writing down the, the, you know, the, the UUID it's up a long there. number. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> well, you know, they might be wearing a Google Glass at the time. Yeah, well, that, that, that is true. I mean, <laughs> I, I think yeah, you have to also talk about security in the context of what it means. I mean, someone's in your office. I mean, it's, it's, there's a sort of certain level of trust anyway. I do take your point, though. I'm not, I'm not trying to dodge that by any means. I mean, yes, someone could be wearing Google Glass or taking a sneaky photo. But again, context comes into it where, you know, if someone's doing that in your someone's in your office already, there's probably some other levels of trust that, that go with that. Uh, certainly, if somebody just randomly typed in a UID? A UUID? If someone typed one in? Yeah. It, well, you'd have to, I mean, it's technically possible, but, you know, if you try, you know, millions of combinations every second, you'd exceed, the, you know, the lifetime of the universe before you, you got one. You got one right. I mean, that's how many possible UUIDs there are. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not talking about a targeted attack, but somebody who just wanted to muck around with your system. Do you have something to prevent? Yeah, so uh, to detect, we've got ways of detecting that. At the moment, we haven't put those algorithms into, we haven't put some some hard uh, actions on that, if you like, but but yep. we can always add those. So we can always put some thresholds on, say, things like uh, guest UUIDs from a certain IP or IP block, um, yep. X number within certain minutes, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. At the moment, nothing's triggering at the moment because it's new, but those are the kinds of things that we can do because we've got the ability to do that. So as the app gets bigger and, and used by more and more customers and therefore will also have a sort of a, uh, a bigger presence on the internet, then we will start getting those triggers and fine-tuning them. A lot of the, the way we configure the triggers, I think, will be done on in a response to how the app is used, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least you've thought about these things. Yeah, a lot of companies unfortunately don't. I mean, look, I'm not going to stand up here and say we are 100% secure. No, absolutely You're on no the system. There's no such thing as something secure on the internet. Exactly. Mm. Amazon Web Services can't stand up and say we are 100% secure. There's no way. No one can do it. Yeah. But, you know, what we can say is here are the things we've thought of and here are the things that we're doing and here are the approaches we've taken. And we kind of like to think that we've got our, our bases covered, I guess, to the best that we can. Mm. But, but, you know, those are good questions to cover because, you know, people, as you and and I have talked before, Brett, people don't often think of, of that side of things. They, they think, oh, cloud service, that's easy for us. Cool, let's go for it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then the question, the real questions they should be asking behind the scenes is, who, what is that company? What are the security measures they've taken? How have they approached this and that and, and this other uh, feature and so on? And and you've asked those. <laughs> so, and that, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, it's it's a, one of the huge considerations now for every company when they look at a tool. Security is probably paramount now and it's, yeah, it's something we, like Ed says, we, we've thought about quite a lot actually in developing this, but there will be something that someone else asks that we will need to revisit and check. But um, we're pretty confident that we'll be able to respond well to that as far as if we've got to do any modifications or anything just to tighten mm. everything up. Mm. I think it's something that you, you've thought about, but you need to put it on your website that you have thought about that and this this is something that is built in. Yeah, you think, you you think know, we somebody can look at this about, and go, I don't mm. have a username and password. How is it going to be secure for me? And you can put in that this is how it is secure for you. 
Yeah, so you think we should be talking about that more on our website? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe we we should we should do that. You know, I think though, you know, that whole username and password thing you, you mentioned. Let me just get this clear for our, our listeners out there that this tool we've kind of designed in a unique way. Like when you want to go and use this tool to create a project, you simply give it a project name at, at the very minimum, click a button, and your project's there. All you got to do yeah. now is start adding requirements. There's no sign up here, enter your name, email address, blah blah blah. Wait for the confirmation. There's none of that. There are no usernames, no passwords, no logins. You just hit a button and away you go. And that's, I think, one of the things that makes this tool so unique. And we hope that by lowering that entry barrier, that that's going to entice people to, to actually... Yeah, lowering that, um, the rigmarole you have to go through before you can just start using it all. Absolutely. And one of the key things was that a business user would gap and running with this as quickly as possible. Um, no roadblocks there to stop them doing that. I definitely saw this as not just an IT business analyst tool that the business uh, user themselves could just get up and running straight away. They may involve IT somewhere down the track, but initially they could think, well, I've got an idea. I need something changed. I've got some requirements. I'll just start this myself. And this tool allows them to do that without any upfront information or overload. So that was mm. quite what we were aiming for really with this one. So, Brett, did, was anything else you wanted to uh, discuss on this? No, no. I, I thought it was a, a nice, clean, easy-to-use tool. Oh, well, thank you for your, your comments. So, for those of you who want to check it out, irequireit.com. We'll put a link on our show notes under Boys of Tech episode 315. That pretty much concludes episode 315. Marcus, I want to thank you very much for joining us uh, on this episode. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Ed, and thanks very much, Brett. And uh, of course, Marcus, you and I will continue to working on this uh, on this product. We will indeed. Yeah, no, it's been an enjoyable uh, journey so far, and I think, yep, there's definitely more to do. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent, Brett. Thank and you. I shall continue to make projects about random things. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to seeing them creep in there. Uh, Brett, look, thank you very much also for co-hosting. Always a pleasure, Ed. All right, that was episode three one five. Thank you very much for listening. Have yourselves a great week. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye bye. Maybe they now consider it the time where the technology to support it, the, you know, the, 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 mm, the, the, maybe they now consider the, the flashpoint, if you, ah, <laughs> uh, that was funny, it ran through my head. So for those of you who want to check it out, irequireit.com. We'll put a link on our show notes under Boys of Tech episode 315. And that pretty much, I'll have to put a pause in there. I'm going to redo that.